This is Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, Licensed Insolvency Trustees. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of this station. Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO on VOCM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Your Money with Nancy Snedden. I am Nancy Snedden. Thanks so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we're breaking down the federal budget. So to help me make sense of it all is Jason Hilliard. He's the CEO of Charter Professional Accountants in Newfoundland and Labrador, and Louis-Philippe Gauthier, Vice President of Atlantic with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Thank you both for joining me today. Well, thank you. Thank you. We definitely got lots to discuss, so we're going to jump right into it. So on Tuesday, the Honorable Christopher Freeland, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, released the Budget 2023, a made-in-Canada plan, strong middle class, affordable economy, healthy future. So before we really jump into the specifics of the budget, I want to hear both of your sort of overall reaction or response to what was tabled, and if you think it delivers uh, during these uncertain economic times, or is it sort of falling short of a little bit. So maybe Jason, I'll start with you. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, my first reaction uh, is really that we need to get back to balanced budgets. Uh, as a CPA, it's hard to continue to watch the government, uh, you know, put out budgets each year with, uh, um, you know, no no real consideration for our uh, overall uh, debt. Uh, however, I guess given the slowdown nationally, I can certainly appreciate why the need to spend to drive growth right now. But I, but I am struggling with how government doesn't appear to be focused at all uh, on minimizing our debt and, and living within our means. With the current economic condition, I would say I'm pleased to see that they have at least aligned their spending with the government's strategic priorities, in this case, the green transition. And given the level of spend, though, uh, it would have been nice to see more done to help lower-income Canadians. Uh, while the dental plan is needed, more could have been done, I believe, to uh, help with the pressures being felt from the increased costs of, you know, of the basics. It is getting harder and harder to afford day-to-day things and, and keep the lights on. And, and there really isn't anything that in this budget that will lead to a long-term solution for that uh, for our most vulnerable uh, within this budget. Yeah, I agree with you, Jason. Like from my perspective, I mean, in my business, that's something I'm preaching all the time is making sure that we're all living within our means and, and that goes for, for government as well. Uh, I do think it though it was necessary to try to put some things in place to help the average Canadian because people are struggling, right? To your point, there's a lot of people insolvency is on the rise. I can tell you our phones have never been busier because so many people are finding it harder and harder to, to cope with putting food on the table and repaying their debt. So Louis Philippe, I'll turn to you now. What's your overall reaction to the budget? Well, I'd, I'd echo the the comments from uh, from Jason on the question of the deficit that uh, you know, with the forecast of just servicing the debt reaching fifty billion by uh, twenty seven twenty eight, uh, it's worrisome. Uh, now, there, as with every budget, you have to balance what all the different stakeholders are asking and what are your priorities. From our from our perspective, uh, you know, the majority of the items that were done in the budget won't necessarily attach to a money amount to businesses, to small businesses at least, outside of the the, the spending relating to the the key areas. So, really, uh, if if you think of 
the effect of the spending. And I know we're going to be talking about some of the measures uh, for down in the show. Uh, but sometimes you, you're left scratching your head going, well, all right, is this really have going to have an effective change uh, in the lives of Canadians uh, when it comes to any spending program that's put forward. Yeah, and like I said, it, it is so important, right? And we know the 250-page document is being pitched as a focused plan to address inflation. And the federal finance minister says that the document maintains Canada's proud tradition of fiscal responsibility, adding, by exercising fiscal restraint, we are ensuring that we can continue to invest in Canadians and in the Canadian economy for years to come. But, as we've been talking about, the budget projects a deficit of about $10 billion higher than was initially forecast, an increase driven by worsening economy and, I think, new spending on initiatives, so spending of about $70 billion over the next six years. And it also plans to implement spending cuts across all departments and tax increases totaling $25 billion. So we'll get into the spending plans and cuts in a bit, but and what it'll mean, I guess, for the pocketbooks of Canadians, including people here in Newfoundland and Labrador. But let's talk about the deficit first, because, I mean, you've both raised it, and, and I've raised my concern about it as well. And we know when it comes to budgets, deficits are always a key focus, right? So Freeland's fiscal plan projects the deficit will be $40.1 billion in 23-24, up from $30.6 billion. She said it would be just last fall, right? Last fall, that's what she was predicting. So the finance minister is no longer forecasting that federal coffers could be back in the black by 27-28. Instead, she's projecting that the deficit will gradually decline over the next five years, but still sit at $14 billion in 27-28. So no plan to balance the books anytime soon, for sure. So are you seeing this in the budget, Jason, right, that recession is looming, millions of Canadians are struggling to keep up financially, leading to a budget day where there was not a lot of talk, really, of fiscal restraint, despite um, some commentary, I think, from um, Minister Freeland to that. So Freeland acknowledged that certain initiatives are expensive, but said she's ready to take on anyone who questions the necessity of the spending outlined in the budget. So you mentioned, Jason, right, as an accountant, it's hard to see this continued deficit, right, with no uh, plan to get to a balanced budget. So what are your thoughts on, with so much economic uncertainty, I guess, is now really the time to be spending on all these things yeah it's, it's, it's a bit of a you know it, it's hard to break it down i guess into uh, what's required when and and you know what happens if we didn't spend in this way um you know i, I certainly would have liked to see more attention paid to the deficit and and would suggest that the government does not seem to be committed to spending within its means despite its acknowledgement that it's it, it, you know, it restrained itself. Uh, as you noted earlier, the government is well off uh, from its projection provided only a few short months ago, and, and it, as it relates to the 23-24 deficit, and with revenues now revised downward and increased spending projections, uh, you know, a balanced budget is no longer, as you said, anywhere on the horizon. Uh, so I would say, you know, it, it's worrisome that the government is putting off balancing the budget. Um, you know, with with that said, you know, we are seeing signs of a recession looming, so I acknowledge the need to spur economic activity, uh, and they've aligned the spending to to their strategic goals, uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to see they're at least sort of, you know, funding what they feel is important and, and 
you know, I think overall that would have good impacts for Newfoundland Labrador. So, you know, I'm, I'm supportive, I guess, of spending on the, on the green transition. Um, but, you know, they, they then say that, you know, they have intentions to reduce overall government spending. But I would say, you know, lo- looking at the numbers there and, and, you know, how they're intending to do it, uh, you know, I, I'm a bit, you know, I, I'm a bit concerned, I guess, that that will not come to fruition and, and we'll continue to see uh, that we're probably even farther in the red than, than is suggested currently. Um, you know, I also think that, you know, increased injections in this way, you know, could put pressure on inflation rather than cool it. So, you know, there's a lot happening here and, and I'm not sure it's, it's all aligned to where, you know, the direction we should be going as it relates to our budget. And we know the Conservative Party is saying that the budget is a spending bonanza and full and almost a full frontal attack on taxpayers. They say that billions in new government spending announced in the budget will pour fuel in the inflationary fire. So somewhat, uh, I guess, agreeing, Jason, with some of the comments that you've made there. But the finance minister says that budget 2023 comes at an important moment for our country and at an important moment for the world. In the near term, we must contend with the slowing global economy, elevated interest rates around the world, and inflation that is still too high. So, Louis Fleet, what's your thought here? Does this budget put us in a better position to contend with those issues, or will it mean further economic uncertainty? Well, that, that remains to be seen. It's a good question. But I'd say from a small business perspective, what's what's in there that, that will help them reduce costs? What, what's in there that will reduce the pressures on uh, on their operating costs? So, for example, at least we know now from the federal, from their forecasting that EI rates aren't going to go up. So at least that hit um, over the, the, the potentially over the next seven years. So at least there won't be a hit there on the payroll. Uh, if we look at uh, dealing with the pressures that businesses are on are living through now, you know, we've been advocating to to have. Now, at least the CBO loans push back the the pay repayment deadline push back another year just to give a little bit more time for businesses to repay those loans. And as you can appreciate, with an average of one hundred five thousand um, that's been accumulated through pandemic debt over the last three years, just any little bit of help for business can, business can help at that point. But there was nothing like that in the budget. Um, of course, you know, a little bit of savings uh, through the merchant fees, which uh, reduction that the, the, the federal government uh, has apparently been able to negotiate with Visa and MasterCard. But, you know, they've put forward their own numbers as to what kind of an impact it could bring to, to small businesses. Uh, and of course, we'll do, once we have all the details, we'll do our own analysis and see uh, uh, what will be our, our perceived impact uh, from our membership. So that was potentially good news, but really nothing in there that from a, a, a real effect. Uh, it's it's almost like uh, if you look at the at the programs that were provided uh, to the families to help with uh, the grocery bill. We'll probably discuss in a bit. Um, no, is the amount of money or is the impact that's being affected through the budget on either small businesses or on Canadians? Is it having meaningful change? And that's where the big question mark is. Uh, We can say that we're in uncertain times uh, and that uh, it's an important moment for our country and et cetera, et cetera. 
well, it's, it's big words, uh, but really what's, what's going to be the impact on the pocketbook of consumers and uh, on the books of businesses. Yeah, and that is the big question, right, that remains to be seen. Like we said, people are really struggling right now with increased interest rates, and inflation is coming down, but it's still high, right? It's still over 5%. So, you know, people people are struggling when they go to the gas pumps, when they go to the grocery store. It's, uh, you know, the cost of living is still quite high. We know that spending within the federal budget really does focus on three key areas. Targeting cost of living measures for lower-income Canadians, making life more affordable, which, we, as we have said, is, is very much needed healthcare, and the shift to clean tech. So we're going to focus on these specifics when we come back. Please stay with us. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here on VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Snedden, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada right here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We're breaking down the federal budget today with our panel of experts, and joining me is Jason Hilliard. He's the CEO of the Charter Professional Accountants in Newfoundland and Labrador, and Louis-Philippe Gauthier, Vice President for Atlantic with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So I'd like to focus now on some of the measures included in the federal budget aimed at making life more affordable for Canadians. It's certainly top of mind for everyone um, that I talk to, right, and, and at the conversation around the water cooler in the office, the, the conversation with family and friends, certainly with clients, is all around affordability right now. So one highly touted measure in this budget is the one-time tax rebate aimed at helping Canadians cope with rampant food inflation. The so-called grocery rebate is aimed at lower-income households. It'll be a one-time payment that will be delivered through the existing GST tax credit. It will cost $2.5 billion and help about 11 million low- and modest-income Canadians pay their bills. The payout for this rebate is $467 directly to a family of four, $234 to a single Canadian without kids, and $225 to the average senior. So the timing of the payment will depend on how quickly the government can get the legislation to implement the budget passed. There's certainly a lot of reaction to this rebate, and financial support it will provide to Canadians who will need it. So, Louis-Philippe, you mentioned it a little earlier, but what are your thoughts on this rebate? Well, with all things, the, the question is, uh, will it have a meaningful or uh, an impactful effect? Uh, so the initial comments uh, from a lot of uh, advocacy groups uh, that are geared uh, and focused on on Canadians uh, that uh, that are having difficulties uh, and living the, the higher impact of inflation are... We're basically characterizing it as as a drop in the bucket. Uh, so that to the point that that we've made a few times, I think since the beginning of the show, inflation is here. Inflation is real, and you know, from a food perspective, it's definitely hitting uh, the pocketbooks of of Canadians and Canadian families. Um, is is in the case of a senior uh, with, for example, the two hundred and twenty five dollars. Uh, one-time uh, contribution is, is is that helping? No, it's not not helping. Uh, but the question is, is it meaningful? Other than just saying uh, we put something in place. You no, know, we saw a lot of programs across the provinces in Atlantic Canada 
during the beginning uh, of COVID, uh, programs that were there to help or somewhat help. And the question was always, well, is it is it really providing the help that it's supposed to, or is it just we're doing something for the sake of doing something? And then here, that's the reflection that I would have. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I mean, no amount of money will, to your point, not help, but is it going to be a meaningful amount of help with everything that people are experiencing right now? Jason, what are your thoughts on this rebate and some of the other measures that are put in place to meant to help the pocketbooks of our listeners? Yeah, you know, I, I struggle with, with with this particular item, I guess. You know, to your point, there's no, no amount of money that's not going to help. I Obviously, it's a benefit, it's helping, uh, but it, to me, uh, perhaps the structure of it and, and the fact that it's sort of just incremental, uh, you know, you, you, they'll get the, you know, folks in this in this group will receive these funds and, you know, for two or three weeks, perhaps the grocery bill is, you know, a bit more uh, affordable or, you know, they, they can, you know, ha- maybe have a, a little added comfort for one month. But, you know, the dollars, the dollar amounts we're discussing here are really just, you know, one week's grocery bill uh, for a family of four. Um, you know, maybe it helps out on the second week. But, you know, it's, it's not really a meaningful impact longer term. And I think the biggest challenge that, you know, government has, and, and I think we see this in every budget, is, you know, the budget ultimately comes out, it's just largely, you know, what it was last year plus, you know, this little piece and that little piece. Uh, you, you know, there, there needs to be significant change, perhaps, in how in how we handle uh, funding in, in this way and, and supporting uh, vulnerable groups. Like, we just really need to rethink, you know, our annual budget. Uh, if, if we keep doing incremental things, it just keeps, you know, costing the government more and more money. But I don't know that we ever look back to see, you know, what is it we're spending our money on that is not really that helpful. And, you know, do we just need to really overhaul the whole system? But that's probably a a conversation (laughs) for a much longer show. Yeah, absolutely. We could take, uh, I think, the next month of shows to talk about that particular issue for sure. I think some of the other measures that the government has put in place that they say are meant to help uh, Canadians with their pocketbooks is cracking down on hidden junk fees, such as higher telecom roaming charges, cracking down on predatory lending by proposing to lower the criminal rate of interest, which for listeners out there who aren't aware, that currently sits at 60%, which to me, there's an interest rate much lower that that I would still consider criminal um, but because people do go up to the limits. I had a client just this week where one of their finance company lenders, when I got a copy of the loan agreement, were charging 56.5% interest. When people sign up for these loans, they don't understand, right? They don't read the fine print. It's not explained to them. They really can't grasp that although they're getting a loan for $2,000, they're paying 56.5% interest on on that loan. So they're almost doubling the amount that they have to, to pay back in the end. They're talking about lowering credit card transaction fees for small businesses while also protecting reward points for Canadians offered by Canada's largest banks. So, Louis Philippe, I'm sure that that was something that you were happy to see. Well, from our perspective, it's something that we've been asking for uh, for a long while. Uh, Canada, and, and, uh, compared to other countries, you know, consumers and our businesses have higher uh, costs of transaction when it comes to using credit cards. 
than many other countries. So the the, the reality of, of trying to get you know the Mastercards and the Visas and the American Expresses uh, to deal uh, with that reality for for our businesses has been something that we've been trying to accomplish for years. So there's a little bit of movement. It's, I'd say uh, we're optimistic. Uh, government estimates that the agreement they've done with Visa and MasterCard might reduce the merchant transaction fees by t- up to 27%. Uh, we'll have to look at the details, uh, as always, and really see what what will be the, the impact based on... on on our reality through our membership, but the federal government saying that it should re, uh, benefit up to 90% of businesses that accept uh, credit card processing. Now, just to put uh, your listeners in context, when somebody's uh, a client goes to a small business and uses their, their credit card, uh, it's a percentage of the transaction that's the fee. Uh, so, Depending on what card that the consumer has, uh, you know, the, the rate could be anywhere from, let's say, 1.5 to 2.5%. Uh, because that's somewhere, you know, the bank and the credit card companies need to be able to pay for those points that everybody likes to collect. Uh, but that gets passed on to the business. And that, that essentially, businesses have to compose with that by adjusting their price and their price mix because um, some other consumers don't pay with credit cards. So that, that for us was a, a, a good movement. Uh, we'll have to see the details, but it, it was a, at least the door is open now for, long, for more conversations and maybe more savings. Yeah, and, and it is important, right, because we don't always think about that, right? When we're paying with a credit card, sometimes to get points, sometimes because we can't, we don't have the cash, right, available to do it, so we need, need those options. Um, the impact that it has on the bottom line of the small business, right? Um, we're not talking about the, you know, the, the Walmarts of the world and the big box stores and, and that kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure it, it is an impact to their bottom line, but it is more of an impact uh, for small business. So, Jason, one of the things that I was happy to see was the automatic tax filing for low-income Canadians to ensure that they can easily file their returns so that they receive the benefits that they're entitled to. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people in my office who are behind on their taxes, not because they owe money, but just because they haven't been able to, to file them. And they're missing out on child tax benefit, they're missing out on GST credits, all kinds of things that would help them um, from a month, monthly cash flow perspective. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, this is an area that, that CPAs in our province have been supporting, uh, you know, our citizens on for years and years uh, with volunteer tax clinics and these sorts of things. But, you know, this is a step in the right direction for sure. Most of these tax returns are very simple uh, tax returns to have done. And, and it's, you know, it's time to automate, I guess, and, and have those things uh, filed automatically. This is, you know, great news to see that that uh, may soon be a, a reality. Absolutely. Well, we know that there's also other tax changes coming, and they're actually going to prove quite costly to high-income earners, so we're going to talk about that when we come back. Please stay with us. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada right here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Today we're talking about the federal budget and our panel of experts are breaking it down for you. So joining me for discussion is Jason Hilliard. He's the CEO of Charter Professional Accountants in Newfoundland and Labrador and Louis-Philippe Gauthier, Vice President for Atlantic with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So we talked a little bit about the cost savings uh, in the budget in the last segment. And while there are some cost saving measures outlined in the budget, Uh, There are also some new tax changes coming that are going to prove costly to higher income earners. So the government plans to update the alternative minimum tax, which is a parallel tax calculation that allows fewer deductions, exemptions, and tax credits than under the ordinary income tax rules. And of course, for high income earners, this is going to be a steep hike in their tax bill. So Jason, what can you tell us about this? You know, I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners here will, will, you know, think, well, yes, tax tax the rich. Uh, But the reality is it's those same folks that are investing in businesses or investing in our economy and and driving, uh, you know, growth in our economy that ultimately leads to, you know, more employment, more jobs, uh, more, more, uh, you know, higher income for for our citizens, et cetera. So, uh, you know, I, I struggle... Uh, with the introduction of any new taxes, I, th- I think ultimately as a country we're, we're taxed enough, uh, both as a country and as a province, and, and adding new taxes, in my mind, is only going to go to slow or reduce investment or, or sway business decisions uh, and, and possibly sway you know investment decisions uh, amongst those top income earners towards you know other provinces, other countries uh, that have more favorable you know tax structures. So you know I, I really don't think this is the right thing to do. I, I think the government ultimately needs to focus on fiscal restraint rather than new taxes. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, right? Because you're right, it seems like the easy thing. Let's just tax the people who can afford to pay more tax. But to your point, it reduces that cash flow that they have to re- to spend and, and invest in the local economy. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword from that perspective. And it's hard to know whether the increased tax dollars would have the same impact from a local economy standpoint of the investment that those dollars could have in that local uh, business community. So we know the finance minister, uh, Christian Freeland, delivered the financial spreadsheet on Tuesday in Ottawa. And while there was lots of talk of fiscal restraint leading up to the budget, as you know by now, it includes billions in spending. So the budget launches the next stages of a dental care plan, which the Liberal government agreed to as a condition of its supply and confidence agreement with the new Democrats. We know that the Conservatives are saying they're going to vote against the budget, but it will, it will receive the support story of the new Democrats. So let's talk about this, because this spending is being met with mixed reviews due to the agreement between the NDP and the Liberals. And some economists in fact are saying that politics is putting our economy at risk and that the Liberals are spending to stay in power. And is that really practicing fiscal restraint? So, Jason, I'll start with you on this one again. What what do you think about this? Yeah, you know, I I don't think the fiscal restraint is really part of the equation uh, in this budget or, or any that we've seen in recent years. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, while the while the dental plan is is likely the right thing to to do, uh, it, it's in my mind, it's only happening because it's what the new Democrats would do if they were in power. And since they have the Liberals backed into a corner, it's in the budget. So it, it just so happens in this case, at least, it's to the benefit of the health of 
Canadians. Uh, so I guess we can be thankful for that. But, you know, unfortunately, there's way too much politics in our budget cycle. Uh, you know, and, and we'll see that, you know, we see, we see that whenever a new budget comes out. It, it's really about, you know, staying in power, pleasing the masses, and, and never seems to be about writing the ship uh, and, and focusing on, you know, our fiscal reality. Yeah. And do you agree with that, Louis Philippe? Do you think that there's too much politics in these things? Well, the, the question goes back to, to, to where are the priorities of Canadians and, and what do Canadians want from their government in the context of a budget balance, uh, but a uh, balanced budget or not. Uh, the, the, no, our, our data, when you look at, at, at members uh, of our member data over the last year and a half, one thing that's clear is that, at least from a small business perspective in Atlantic Canada, Newfoundland, Labrador, that the the importance that small business owners put on, for example, investments in healthcare has ex- gone up substantially. Uh, but at the same time, you see in the data that the business owners do realize that there, there's a need for a balance uh, and a, a balanced budgets and for fiscal responsibility. Because um, they, they're fully aware that the deficits are today are going to be the the taxes of of tomorrow. Now, it's the balancing between those two. Uh, in this case, uh, I tend to say that you no, know, there, there's really no fiscal balance in this case at all. Uh, when the government, the federal government, is going to be looking at fifty billion dollars just to service the debt by twenty seven, twenty eight. So that's not a small number. Uh, now, when we're looking at, at where are we spending the money, uh, is it on things that will be structural into the future uh, and that are wanted by most Canadians would be a, is one criteria. But whenever you do add in a structural cost, uh, I think we generally agree that we don't want to see higher taxes. Well, how do you manage and where do you cut somewhere else to be able to pay for that? And that, that's the, the cycle of reasoning that, that, that that's just not there right now. And so that's yeah, just one I, piece. I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I, I just totally agree with that comment. It, it, it you know, it, it's always incremental. It's you, you, we just keep bolting on more initiatives, more plans, more money for this initiative or that initiative. But in this budget, uh, you know, while they talk about a three percent uh, reduction, you know, there, there's no real concrete plan as to how that reduction is going to happen. And, and ultimately, as I read through uh, the materials here, you know, the things that they sort of suggest will result in a reduction. Uh, they seem to be talking more about the things they're not going to take away. Uh, you know, there will be no reduction in public service. There will be, um, it appears to be, uh, you know, separate things that were announced were sort of things like travel and professional services. Or, uh, But at a time when the cost of living is going up and, and we're spending, you know, all this all these funds, I, I, and which is going to drive wages, which I don't understand, I don't follow the logic, I guess, is that how they think they're going to reduce their spend um, without reducing the size of the public service at a time when wages and that are, are likely to continue to rise and rise and rise. So, 
you know, it, it's always about adding the next thing. Uh, but I, I don't know that government is ever sort of taking a step back and saying, you know, what business ought government be in? And, and is there things that we're spending money on that ought not to be part of our, our budget cycle? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I think one thing that we're seeing some investment in the dental care, I guess, was a small piece of it. But overall, there's been a significant investment to strengthen our public health care system. And, you know, we need to keep in mind, I think, too, the pressure that the government faced from the provinces for funding increases. And this funding is going to benefit Newfoundland. We saw in the provincial budget that came down on March 23rd, Newfoundland government's 2023 budget titled Your Health, Our Priority, includes $3.9 billion on health care spending this year, the largest investment in health in the history of our province. And to strengthen Canada's universal public health care system, Budget 2023 delivers $198.3 billion to reduce backlogs, expand access to family health services, and ensure provinces and territories can provide the highest quality and timely health care Canadians expect and, of course, deserve. This also includes $46.2 billion in new funding to provinces and territories through the new Canada health transfer measures, as well as a tailored bilateral agreement to meet the needs of each province and territory personal support worker wage support and a territorial health investment fund. This funding is to be used to improve and enhance the health care Canadians receive and is not to be used by provinces and territories in place of their planned health care spending. So what is your response to this spending, Jason? I think it's tough, right, because we're talking about the need to be fiscally responsible. But with what our health care system has gone through over the past few years, can we really afford not to spend and or to be critical of the spending plan? Yeah, no, I don't think we can. Like, back to my my previous point of, you know, the government needs to take a look at what businesses, you know, it ought to be in and where it should be investing versus where it shouldn't. This is an area that clearly, you know, needs significant investment. Uh, you know, we, we see it locally and, and we're hearing it nationally. Uh, so ultimately, I'm certainly pleased to see that there's significant investment in healthcare. That's somewhere the government ought to be focused. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the provincial government government stepping up and, and doing things differently than it has in the past. And I'd say overall, I'm, I'm optimistic that with the additional funding we see from the federal government and what appears to be an attempt to really step outside of our previous norms with how we deliver health care here in the province, uh, investing in a new way to deliver health care, uh, you know, ultimately I think we will see better access to health care and hopefully better outcomes for the money spent. So uh, while all these things may not happen quickly, uh, they, they certainly do seem to be on the right track and, and there's a lot of groundwork being laid right now that I think will uh, drastically improve our healthcare system over the next decade. The thing I like about what's happening in this space is yeah they, they're investing in it but they're also not just doing what they've always done. Uh, you know when we look at you know the federal government send the money to the province obviously that's supporting this but then we're seeing the province really look at new ways to innovate and deliver on our healthcare needs which ultimately I think, you know, when, when we, you know, compare a ratio later on and, and when some of this stuff is implemented, I think we will see that we're getting better outcomes for the, for the money spent. Uh, so I, personally, this is somewhere that I, I wholeheartedly support uh, federal government investment in. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I echo your comment, right? I think what's mo 
most important is that they are looking at how they can do things differently to improve the health outcomes, right? Especially here in Newfoundland and Labrador, where we have such an aging population, healthcare needs to be top of mind. So I'm really happy uh, to see that these things are happening. Well, we talked earlier about things uh, that we're looking at for a green economy, and the federal budget does promise transformative investments in our green economy. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. Please stay with us. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here in VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada right here in Newfoundland and Labrador. The federal budget is the focus of our discussion today. And with me to talk about it is Jason Hilliard. He's the CEO of Charter Professional Accountants in Newfoundland and Labrador. And Louis-Philippe Gauthier, Vice President for Atlantic with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So while the largest bucket of money in the budget is for health and dental care, and the grocery rebate is certainly getting a lot of coverage, arguably the centerpiece in Tuesday's budget is the chapter on spurring economic growth in the clean energy sectors through investment tax credits, low-cost strategic financing, and targeted programs to spur growth in critical minerals and in other key sectors such as electric vehicles. In the forward leading into this funding announcement, the finance, finance minister stated, in the months and years to come, we must seize the remarkable opportunities for Canada that are presented by two fundamental shifts in the global economy, the race to build the clean economies of the 21st century and our allies' accelerating efforts to friendshore their economies by building their critical supply chains through democracies like our own. We know our commitment to a greener economy was on the agenda when U.S. President Joe Biden visited a week or so ago. So again, Louis-Philippe, do you think that this spending is being pushed by politics or is this spending that is necessary to create a competitive economy on a global scale? I'd say a bit of both. Uh, the, the reality is uh, a lot of countries are moving in this direction with the, the, the reality uh, of the environment and uh, where uh, other countries are making some investments in and relating to their strategic direction, we have to do our hours as well. Um, you know, we've seen it not only from the the federal budget perspective, but we've also seen it uh, in the provincial budget in Newfoundland and Labrador and other uh, provinces in Atlantic Canada as well. So it's 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 only normal, quote unquote, uh, at this point that. You're 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 not only thinking about your competitive positioning, but also of building the the bases, if you will, to be able to allow the companies that want to do the investments to have uh, opportunities that will give them a, a better line of sight or a better way to run, if you will, into the future. Yeah, and it is important, right? We know that we need to do better in this space. I mean, everyone around the world is is, is focusing on this. So let's go through some of the highlights. So some of the budget highlights include a refundable 15% clean electricity investment tax credit for investments in non-emitting electricity generation systems and electricity storage or transmission at a cost of $6.3 billion over the next four years, a refundable clean technology manufacturing tax credit equal to 30% of the cost of investments in machine 
machinery used to manufacture or process clean technologies at a cost of $4.5 billion over five years. A clean hydrogen investment tax credit first signaled in the 2022 fall update, with support ranging from 15 to 40 percent of eligible project costs, and at least $20 billion coming from the Canada Infrastructure Bank to support building major clean electricity and clean growth infrastructure projects. So overall, the government is expected to spend $80 billion over the next decade on clean economy-focused initiatives. So Jason, is this investment uh, something that's going to really result in future benefits? Uh, you know, I, I do think it will. We're seeing, uh, you know, these kinds of tax in, uh, incentives, I guess, really drive to to create, um, you know, investment in our business community and, and investment in our future. Uh, so the money ultimately, yeah, the, you know, the government puts in, you know, these tax incentives and, and tries to drive a certain behavior, uh, which in turn will result in, in businesses spending more money uh, investing in their future and investing in, uh, in our economies. So, you know, I, I think, you know, these are the right kind of initiatives. These are the things that will will drive investment decisions. Here in Newfoundland Labrador, of course, we're, we're sort of getting ourselves uh, fully aligned with wind energy and, and uh, you know, the transition to, to green energy. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity here locally, and I think some of these uh, tax incentives will help drive the kind of behavior we want and ultimately will result in, you you know, spurring economic activity here in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, and ultimately preparing us, uh, you know, for for the path that those businesses ought to be on for for the future. Yeah, I I I think you're right. Right, we all need to to move towards that and look for investments in different types of energy that will spur investment and, and create jobs and all that stuff here in the province. I think some of the chatter that I've heard since the budget uh, came out is, you know, Newfoundland relies so heavily on oil revenues. And Minister Cody, when she delivered uh, the provincial budget, she said that the province is continuing to support the oil industry and allocated $50 million as an incentive for exploration. And in the announcement, she said the world will need oil for the next 30 to 50 years. So, Louis-Philippe, do you feel that this focus on a cleaner, greener economy will mean, um, you know, a negative impact for Newfoundland and Labrador with regards to the future of oil and those revenues? Well, ultimately, the government's stated policy is to move to net zero and eliminate fossil fuels. So in Newfoundland Labrador, there's no question that fossil fuels is an important piece of the economy. From the the minister's, uh, the finance minister's uh, statement uh, is correct. We're still going to need oil for a long while. Uh, and you know, we are going to go through a transition, but during that time, uh, there's investment that needs to be made, and there's opportunities that the province of Newfoundland Labrador can take advantage of and should. So, uh, I, I you know, from with the, the the size of impact uh, of this sector on the economy in the province, there's really no question that uh, over time it's a, it's a huge amount to basically replace but it's not for now and there's time to think about how getting us there so all these programs and initiatives to, that are there to, to spur investment in green tech and etc 
are laying down the bed track, if you will, to reach a point into the future where those quote-unquote new sectors are actually generating enough within the economy from a jobs perspective, from a revenue perspective, uh, to compensate for the oil industry uh, being phased out. Now, I'd add, though, with the, there's a lot of elements relating to green energy within the federal budget. Um, but one of the things that we are, where we're wrapping our, our heads more and more at CFIB is the issue relating to the cost of electricity right now and where we're heading uh, over the next two years, five years, seven years, ten years. Um, it, it's becoming... <laughs> It, it is a murky uh, uh, outfield, if you will, of looking into the future and saying, all right, well, what will it look like? What will our electricity rates look like? And, you know, there's some elements for the Atlantic Loop. Uh, I won't start that. <laughs> I think you could multiple shows on, on talking about the issues relating to electricity in Newfoundland and Labrador. But it, it's, it is a reality where that should be part of the conversation when we're talking about green investments is as we trans we change into the future into this electrified world what will be our electricity rates and that's that's something that that's that's a even with the investments that are being done right now uh no, there's a lot of questions for consumers uh of electricity right now yeah no and you know, listen as much as we talk about inflation and rising food costs and and the cost of gas uh, I talked about just as much and, and probably even before we were seeing this rate of inflation is the cost of electricity and what that means for the future so i agree we could do several shows on on that in uh, newfoundland and labrador but we do have some time now for some final thoughts so i'll start with you jason if you could leave our listeners with a final thought today what would it be yeah, I, I guess for me, uh, you know, and I've alluded to it throughout the show, perhaps uh, the budget cycle always seems to be, you know, j- just an add-on or a bolt-on, so to speak. Uh, it, it generally is just a continuation of the prior year with a few uh, new seeds planted each year. Uh, it is all about keeping the economy stable, trying to balance what wants and needs with our realities and not rock the boat too much. So personally, I'd like to see something more grassroots roots and transformative. Uh, you know, I would like to see a return to uh, uh, fiscal restraint and, and balanced budgets, uh, but appreciate there's a lot of needs out there and, and perhaps I'm in the minority of uh, that would prioritize a balanced budget over uh, um, other elements. But uh, so, but I, I think for most, you know, this budget probably received a passing grade. It, it didn't keep people up at night uh, afterwards, so it's... Uh, you know, and I think that's what we've seen for the last number of years and, and likely to see into the future. But uh, personally, I'd, I'd like to see more transformative change. Well, thanks, Jason. I think a lot of people would echo those comments. Um, but it was great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And Louis Sleep, I, I could uh, hear from you on a final thought for our listeners today. Um, well, it's, 
<laughs> I'd agree that it's a continuation from the year from year to year. That's that's definitive. Um, but overall, for small businesses, not much in it. Very happy and optimistic, at least with merchant fees reductions. Would have liked to see uh, something done with uh, some movement, at least to push back the SIBA loans. The debt and deficit definitely a big issue, uh, and that's that's something that uh, you know would like to see the federal government get back under control sooner than later. Uh, good to see that from a forecasting perspective, EI is not going to increase. Uh, fun tidbits on 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 employee ownership trust. You no, know, that's over seventy percent of our members saying that they're going to be. Uh, looking to ex- exit their businesses over the next 10 years. Well, uh, some of them want to sell to their employees. So once we get the details on that, uh, employee ownership trusts uh, might be a, a path that they'll be able to take. Um, so a little bit of a commitment on internal trade. We'll see. That's another file that we follow on. So I'd say I'd agree with the same, but not much that kept people up at night uh, and not much really there to go uh, uh, on, a, on a big celebratory streak. Yeah, pretty status quo. Well, thanks so much, Louis Philippe, for joining me today. My pleasure. And also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. As always, I do want to hear from you. If you have a comment, question, or even a topic that you'd like me to discuss here on Your Money, you can email me at yourmoney@bdo.ca or give me a call at 800-563-8337. Until next week, I'm Nancy Snedden. Stay safe and be well, everyone. If you have a question or comment, send an email to yourmoney@bdo.ca. This has been Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, License Insolvency Trustees, on Your VOCM.